Marketing and Machines, sponsored by Facebook. Uncover the latest trends in machine learning and automation that are helping advertisers unlock new phases of growth. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of the three-part series, Marketing and Machines. My name is Eliza Williams, and I'm the editor of Creative Review magazine, and I'll be your host for this podcast. With our partner Facebook, in this series, we have been looking at technologies including AI, machine learning, and automation, in the hope of helping you understand their potential, along with the possible problems they may bring. For this episode, we'll be looking particularly at the role that AI may play in terms of creativity, and we'll be exploring whether machines can ever replicate human creative processes in order to create artworks or poetry, or indeed marketing campaigns. Joining me to discuss this, I have two guests. Marcus de Sotoy is Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University and author of the recent book, The Creativity Code, which examines how AI is being used to write, paint and think. In 2010, Marcus received an OBE for Services to Science and since 2008, he has held the prestigious Simone Chair for Public Understanding of Science at Oxford University. Joining Marcus is Ian Edwards, who is the planning director at Facebook for Northern Europe. He joined Facebook in 2015 and spends his time working with some of the world's biggest brands to advise them on how changes in technology will impact their business. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, great to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. So we're going to be talking about some pretty big topics here. And I thought we would embrace this head on at the start and begin by sort of trying to provide a brief description of what uh, human creativity actually is. So just a small thing. Um, Marcus, perhaps you could be the one to help us with this. Do you want to start us off? Yes, I think you're absolutely right that the word creativity is actually quite a hard one to pin down. But uh, the definition I found quite useful when I started writing this book about whether AI could be creative um, is one that I learned from a cognitive scientist, Margaret Bowden. And she said uh, something should be called creative if it's a new novel, um, if it's surprising and it has value. I think uh, novelty is something we can judge quite uh, objectively, um, but things like a surprise, well, that's quite subjective. It depends on an emotional response by a human. Somebody might find something surprising, somebody else not. A value, that's also very subjective. That one depends, um, I think, very much on period of history, where you are in the world. So I think that uh, those Two things are the things which are quite hard, perhaps, for a machine to learn. But I, I think that's quite a useful definition for us for, for what we might mean by uh, creative as we go forward and ask whether actually ca- can AI replicate something that we believe is uniquely human. And, and well, let's ask that question right from the start. Do you, do you think machines can be creative? Are they currently able, is AI able to replicate any of these processes yet? Well, in the past, I thought this was absolutely impossible because uh, coding in the past was written in a very kind of top-down manner. You know, it was a human that wrote the code that told the machine 
what to do. So if the machine produced something that we were excited by, that we thought was creative, I would really have said, well, hold on, that's the the human that wrote the code in the first place, which told the machine what to do. But I think there's been a real phase change in the way that we've been writing code, where suddenly there's an opportunity for code actually to surprise us and produce something of value that we we potentially might have missed. And um, this is a change where code is now being written in a very bottom-up manner. It's um, something we call machine learning, uh, deep learning. This is where the code is allowed to change, mutate, uh, rewrite itself because it encounters new data that it learns from. So I think code we're now producing code that is very much like the code that we use in our in our own machine, our brains, where as a child, we put our hand on a hot plate, we find it burns us, and we reprogram our brain to say, well, okay, I'm going to recognize that uh, scenario in future and never put my hand on the hot plate. So for me, this gives us the potential for code to become something very different from the original human who coded it. And really what set me off on writing this book about uh, AI and creativity was a moment a few years ago where I really saw something incredibly surprising done by a piece of code. This is a very famous story of when AlphaGo, this uh, piece of code written to play this ancient Chinese game of Go, um, played against uh, the best humans have at this game, a player called Lee Sedol. Well, the code beat the human player. I'm not so surprised by that because we've got quite used to machines doing things which humans can't. But there was a moment in the second game AlphaGo played against Lee Sedol where the code made a move that uh, when the commentators saw it, they all gasped. They thought it was an absolutely terrible move. So you had that moment of surprise because there was an emotional stirring in the commentators where they all said, wow, rubbish move. But AlphaGo understood how to make this a very positive move. It turned out not to be a bad move. Ultimately, this move very early on in the game won the game for AlphaGo. So there we have value um, made by this move. And I, I think for me, that was was what was so exciting this this move was came out of the learning process of the code because if a human had seen that line of code they would have deleted it they would have said that's a bad move don't make that move so this for me was genuinely coming out of the 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 machine learning the learning process of the code and and for me that was a moment where i said wow this is a phase change. Code is doing something where we're getting uh, just so much more out than the human coder put in at the beginning. And so for me, I was excited to see, well, what impact is this going to have on human creativity going forward? Yes, that that story always um, feels extremely exciting and ever so slightly unnerving, I think. Um, maybe we'll come to the latter part a bit later on in, in this conversation. This this conversation is primarily aimed at a marketing audience. So I'm interested, Ian, maybe you could come in at this point and talk a little bit about how you, you think some of these ideas may contribute to the marketing experience or to creatives working in ad agencies. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, artificial intelligence as a broad suite of tools is is going to be the most disruptive force in marketing uh, and particularly in creative over the next 10 to 20 years. There's been no doubt in my mind that that's the case. I'm not sure we're quite there at the moment where, you know, machines are going to come up with the big idea at the moment for, for our campaigns. But I think, you know, it's useful to think about creativity in, in kind of two ways here. And I think it's interesting to see how this technology is, is influencing both. Uh, and will latterly influence uh, a second part um, further down the road. I think the, the first part is, 
it's, it's providing new canvases for us to be creative around. So, we, you know, one of the challenges with artificial intelligence is replicating some of the ways that we do things. And one of the big challenges I think that is, is really revolutionizing um, creative is, is around computer vision, for example. Um, computer vision is incredibly difficult to solve. So when you're looking at a video or a photo, people find it really easy to what's a person, you know, what's a tree, what's an object. It's a really hard thing for machines to do, but we've seen very rapid advances in this space. And I'm sure, you know, during lockdown, we spent a lot more time on, on video calls and, and, and interacting with video in our apps. And one of the things that we've got good at is being able to identify the different constitutional parts of a, a video in real time. So that's coming out of AI. So you're able to identify someone, someone's face. And what we're seeing is technology coming out of this space that allows you to change the video in real time and experience and augment it, if you like. So adding new features into to something that already exists. You know, I was watching my, my, my 70 year old mum tell my daughter a, uh, a story the other day uh, on Portal on a video platform. And she was reading the story and then she was able to change her face into each of the characters in that story. You know, an amazing way to enrich that storytelling experience. That's not creative as such in terms of a new idea, but it's a new canvas for us to tell those creative stories. And that's around the execution and it's having a big impact. The second part, which I guess we'll talk a little bit about, is probably where Marcus focuses and the book focuses. Will machines break free of this code and start to bring in new concepts, new ideas that we hadn't thought of previously? We're not there yet, I don't think, but I do think we're on the journey to getting into that space at some point in the not too distant future. Yes, I think that's that's clearly where it will become very interesting. Marcus, could you respond to that a little bit and say what you where you think what positives could come for creators from AI? What what sort of tools do you think they'll be able to take from it in the relatively near future? Well, I think you're you've used the right word there, which is tool. Um, this is a new tool to help us to be more creative. I think actually as creatives, uh, we tend to very often get stuck in a rut. We repeat successful ways of doing things, ad campaigns that seem to work in the past. We, we sort of copy them again. And actually, I think we humans end up behaving more like machines than humans. And what I've seen is this uh, AI has become a very powerful tool to kind of kick us out of our kind of mechanistic way of thinking and showing us new ways to do things, um, maybe even with the material we've got at the moment. So I think that's what's exciting. You know, we have so much data. Uh, Ian mentioned the amount of visual material, video material, which is very hard for a, a human to to navigate all of that material. And what we have is AI is... I think it's a little bit like Galileo getting a telescope and being able to see um, deep into uh, you know our solar system and see new things. Um, our digital world is so rich now that that we, we just don't have the eyes to be able to navigate it all. So we need tools to pick out uh, patterns of behavior inside those that we might be able to exploit. So I, I think that's one of the exciting things to be able to to do things at scale with this and, and see new patterns that we, we've missed before. I think Ian mentioned something really interesting, which is that idea of putting your face inside, say, a story, um, is that AI will be able to give a much more bespoke experience for a, a customer. So um, an AI will be able to learn on how a particular customer interacts with the world, their likes, dislikes. And I think rather than producing just one ad campaign, for example, which is meant to, to sell a product, uh, we'll be able to produce much more bespoke ad campaigns, which are sensitive 
sensitive to the particular likes and dislikes of, of each customer. I sort of wish I had had that actually with my book, because when you're writing a book, like the creativity code, people have very different experiences. I, I would love to see AI in the future being able to, to help me write a book which was specialized for each particular reader. Some know some mathematics, some don't even know what an algorithm is. So, so I think that's a very exciting possibility for this AI, for, for bespoke experience. Yeah, I think Marcus has said something really, you know, there are a couple of really profound thoughts in there that, that, that are very, very relevant to marketing. I think, you know, I just quite like to pick up on two, two points. One is around this sea of data that we're living in. And I think AI at the moment is absolutely helping us make smarter decisions. Um, and it's able to cope with far more, far more information. And that, that has a big role at the moment, mostly, you know, in performance marketing. I think, you know, through COVID, everyone has had to shift their business much more online, generating much more, you know, a lot more signals, and you can see what people are doing. One of the things that, that machine learning particularly is helping us do is take signals that people are expressing and then work out who to serve the right message to at the right time. And that's done in real time. And AI and machine learning is at the heart of your, your Facebook experience, if you like. So how do we curate the content in your newsfeed to the 3 billion users that use our products? It's, it's all underpinned by AI. Everyone has an individual bespoke newsfeed based on their behavior to give them the best experience. And there is somewhere in the region of 200 trillion decisions being made every day in terms of what content to serve to people, what content from your friends and family, and also what advertising to serve to people. Um, and that's obviously something that people could just not cope with at all. But I just also want to pick up on what Marcus said there. And this, this is when I read the book, and I, one of those moments where I thought, wow, that would be so useful for creatives, was that kind of stuck in a rut and how AI can help us break free of that. And Marcus in the book, actually, we might want to talk about this in a minute, was giving an example of composers and how they can look at their back catalogue and, and, and the machine can learn from that and then suggest different options of what the composer might like to do, pushing them into slightly new creative areas that they might not have got to themselves. And I was just thinking, you know, how amazing would it be for a creative to either upload and allow a machine to look through all of their back catalogue and push them into new spaces, or you could look at all the ads that had ever been made around autos and cars or beers or beauty and and look at the stuck in the rut way that we sometimes get to that kind of formulaic creative that can typify a particular type of advertising and then push us into new areas make suggestions and become an incredibly valuable tool just to help us think of different ideas and get out of that kind of stuck in a rut kind of thinking if you like so i think there's just huge potential with that that type of technology as well to really enhance the creative process at speed as well I think that's really interesting, especially because often we think that machines are only going to be able to replicate what is already there. And so we tend to have this idea that the creative is the is the sort of irreplaceable human genius in a way that the, and the machine will only be able to replicate what has already been produced. But it's interesting there that you're actually suggesting that they can jog us out of habits that we all see, I mean, especially you will see it in advertising and we see it in every every form really, but you see it in advertising a lot, as you say, car ads, we can probably all say what a formulaic car ad looks like and yet they still keep on coming out. And I think it's very interesting, this idea that actually a machine could really, you know, revitalise a creative and, and jog them into a better place. Uh, Marcus, maybe you could talk a little bit more about that because I think that's really fascinating. Yes, I think the story that Ian mentioned um, is a, a really irrelevant one here. It was a jazz musician, um, Bernard Lubat, a, a pianist, and the AI listened to um, uh, 
the kind of riffs that Bernard Lubach liked to play um, and was then programmed to respond to those riffs with a sort of similar type of style. And what you might fear is that you'll just get a kind of kitsch version of what you've just heard. But what was so exciting was that the AI recognised new things that you could do with that sound world. And Bernard Lubach's response, I think, was really striking here because he said, I recognize that world. That is me. It's playing like me, but it's doing things I've never, ever thought of doing with my sound world. And it's years ahead of me. Um, And so I I think that's really exciting, this potential to, uh, it was almost as if he was sitting in a hall and only one corner of the hall was lit and the AI suddenly threw on the lights and showed, look, there's so much more that you can explore in in this room. Um, So for me, I think that is the potential. But, But I would really be interested in those moments when it's it's not just exploring what's possible within the world that you've already created and that you might have missed, but perhaps taking you into a, a new world. And for some, they would say, well, how could AI ever do that? Because it's stuck inside a system. How can it break outside the system? You want those moments um, of what actually we call transformational creativity. So actually, it's interesting. There are three sorts of creativity that people have identified. Um, exploratory creativity, which I would say is, um, what more can you do with this world that you've missed already? Um, combinational creativity. This is one I think that um, ad agencies love doing, taking a kind of idea from one realm and, and putting it into a new realm. So you've got a kind of uh, a blended styles, say like fusion cooking or something. But I think it's transformational creativity. That Those are the people you get really excited by that somehow show us a, a new way to do things. And there is evidence that AI is beginning to be able to do this kind of transformational shift. There's an idea of something called a GAN, a generative adversarial network, which is sort of two algorithms working uh, sort of together or maybe even against each other. And I've seen examples of these kind of new algorithms really pushing, for example, art into a a new world that nobody has ever seen before. And I I think this is a really exciting tool to be able to use, not just in the art world, but, but more broadly. And I think it captures actually how the creative mind works, because I think you really do have two algorithms at work in your mind when you're trying to make something new. One is this kind of bubbly, let's try this uh, mad kind of uh, ideas flying out. And then you have a more discriminatory algorithm, which says, no, that's really just going too far. That won't work. And it's the two in combination that eventually take us somewhere that is really new and surprising, but ultimately still has that that value that we're after. So capturing this in an algorithm, I think these are really exciting tools that I think creatives are, are across many different industries uh, should try out. And that's the thing. These are tools that people actually can start playing with without uh, having very sophisticated coding experience. And that, I think, is another exciting element to this, the the ability for people to start playing with a bit of code. Very often, it's about uh, choosing, curating the data that you give that code. Um, And I think that it's kind of lowered the, the bar a little bit on where somebody can start just trying to do something creative, which I think is also really exciting. I'll just if it's okay, just pick up on a couple. I think that I mean there are so many kind of really big and interesting points in what Marcus is saying there that I think this pushing us into new new, new areas is, is is clearly something that's coming. But what I think is also is fascinating is the ability to find out what works quite quickly. And I've always thought, and I think a lot of people would probably agree, listening that the planning to execution process in producing an ad 
is, is kind of fundamentally flawed. You spend a long time planning, coming up with the idea, producing the ad, and then you make an absolutely huge bet to produce something that's incredibly expensive, and then you, you let that play and, and run. And you kind of put all your eggs in one basket. What I think is, is really interesting with this is that it will push you into new areas. You could come up with, with new concepts and ideas, and actually the technology is allowing you to to bring those ideas to life incredibly quickly. Things that were the preserve of Hollywood studios are now being made possible, as Marcus says, without any real coding expertise. You know, you can create these, these, these ideas and bring them to life incredibly quickly. And what's amazing in a digital world is that you can start to iterate and put these ideas out, start to see which ones are connected with people, which ones people are uh, responding to. And then start to invest behind those ideas and then iterate and build on those particular ideas at a pace that we just have never seen before in marketing. And I think that's one of those those big strengths to allow us to iterate different ideas and then put them out into the world, see which ones are really connected and working. And I think that sort of loop of pushing us into new areas, testing and seeing what works is going to just dramatically accelerate how creative we are, the quality of our ideas and also how those ideas translate into business impact for, for, for advertisers and for our clients. Yes, I agree. It does, it, it's interesting so much in the way that it's making me think that machines, this again, this idea of a tool and this support that it can give you. We've talked a lot about very positive effects that AI can have. There are some negative things. Bias is one. Perhaps, Marcus, you could talk a bit about the risks that can come with AI around bias and maybe any other things that you see as potential dangers to look out for. Yes, I think bias is a really significant one because we have to remember that this machine learning is learning on data that we're giving it. So if the data is biased, then it's inevitable that the code also will start to sort of inherit that bias um, unless you actually are, are aware and try and force it perhaps not to. So I think there's some very interesting examples of that. I, I tell a story in the book about um, a, a roboticist that I did an event with. Uh, she works at the MIT Media Lab and she had some robots delivered to her, which had some vision recognition software. Uh, you switch the robot on and it recognizes a person in front of you and then starts having a conversation. Um, but when she switched it on, the robots just blanked her, just didn't see that there was somebody in, in front of her. And she thought this was a bit odd. She thought that perhaps they'd broken. Um, and then she uh, asked a couple of her colleagues to come into the, the lab and the robots responded immediately. And, and then she realized what was unique about her, uh, she was black. And when she lifted up the bonnet of the learning process of the code, the vision recognition software inside, um, she saw that it had only been given pictures of white men, actually, and so hadn't learned about people of color. And, and so she's now started something called the Algorithmic Justice League, a great name for an organization. And she's really looking to that people question the data to see whether there might be bias that is being learnt by the machine. But that said, we can also use AI often to pick up that kind of bias as well. So I think a lot of people are worried about those deep fakes, the videos that seem to be so effective. But again, it's this kind of adversarial network that I mentioned uh, earlier that uh, you can have algorithms that are fighting to find the fakes uh, and often they're much better at doing that than humans. Uh, interesting, you might think that an AI is very bad at reading our emotions, for example, but it turns out AI is much better at seeing 
from a face what our internal emotional world is. If somebody's smiling, but actually it's a fake smile, AI is much better at identifying that as a fake rather than a human. This is being used, for example, for helping autistic children uh, understand what the emotional world of the person they're talking to might be like. So so I think bias is a, a really tricky one because we're we're getting code to learn on data that could have bias in it. I think the other big worry is, well, are we all going to be put out of a job? Um, and I think there's, uh, you know, the kind of Hollywood narrative of artificial intelligence is that this is the Terminator. It's going to wipe out our species and replace it with something like machines. And I, I'm really, in my book, The Creativity Code, I'm, I'm really trying to counter this kind of narrative and say, no, this is not about competition. It's about collaboration. Um, so for me, I think uh, it's using this to do a sort of creativity that we humans can't do. Let's not replicate our creativity. Let's use it as a tool to take us um, somewhere new. But that said, I still think there is a threat that this will pose to certain jobs. Um, for example, in the music industry, I don't think uh, the, the Mozarts of this world are going to be challenged by this technology, but it's the kind of second layer down. Those that are writing perhaps music for uh, ads, for uh, computer games, for example, or corporate videos, something that isn't too uh, grand, not going to be heard in a concert hall. But I think this is where AI will be able to do things at speed and be able to do things which don't cost as much because you won't have to pay somebody copyright. Again, in a computer game, this is perfect because you want the music to respond to the actual player. So when a player goes into a new room, you want the music to change. So I, I think the AI creating music in that kind of realm will be much better than a human. So I think there are kind of levels of, of the kind of creative industry where we will find maybe people being threatened by this new technology. Yes, responding to Ian's point earlier about everything speeding up, it's interesting to think in the world of advertising and marketing that there's a lot of secondary players, if you like. There's the people who are creating the ideas, but there's, as Marcus, you say, there's the musicians who create the music for the ads, there's the directors who direct the ads, there's the you know, the cinematographers, the photographers, and so on. And that, that sort of craft, I think one of my concerns when I think of everything speeding up and trying out ideas on the hoof is, will there be perhaps a bit of a loss of craft in that sense that in our world where we want everything very quickly, is there a risk that some of those creative roles that do take time and do take commitments may get lost along the way if the machine is is saying, do this, do we follow that? I suppose that's a, is a potentially a risk. Ian, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, there is no doubt that the industry is going to be completely changed, and the jobs that we do um, will, will, will definitely will definitely change. There's no doubt around that. The big positive is that you know there's going to be a democratization of creativity. It's going to be much easier for people to get their creative ideas to market at scale, and so the value of amazing creative ideas, transformational creative ideas, will just be much higher because you'll be competing with so much more. Um, so that value that we place on having the very best creativity, the Mozarts, as, as Marcus uh, referred to, those those are going to be just so, so valuable. In terms of you know the skill, the craft, I think what we're going to see is a, a speeding up of that process, but also an ability for people to test new things. You know, one of the things you could do really easily is you could shoot a commercial. Actually, one of the, one of the commercials that really brought this home to me was the 
commercial with, um, with, uh, with with David Beckham last year, which was around malaria must die. And David Beckham in that commercial speaks nine languages. David Beckham doesn't speak nine languages. You know, it's just seamlessly done. And they've tried different things. They've just used sort of the base image of, of David Beckham. But then they've iterated. They've tried new scripts, new ideas, and they haven't had to have him in the studio. They can do that post-production and completely transform the narrative that they're telling and play around with it. You know, it would be really easy to get some base footage of a cityscape for your car ad, as we were talking about earlier on. And does it look better with the sun shining? Does it look better with rain and snow? All of those things will be possible. So there will actually be, in my mind, more craft almost in in shaping what is then executed because you'll be able to pull and try so many different levers at speed and play around with it much more. So actually that craft in iterating will be, may, may go to another level, if you like, rather than being lost. It's just that the skills to do that will be fundamentally different to what they are today. Yeah, I can totally see what you mean in that sense, actually. Those those things that are actually sort of potentially quite laborious could be immensely speeded up and made easier. But that's quite a practical thing. Maybe we could just talk about how people might expect to see AI in society in practical terms, because for me personally, it still feels like something that I'm trying to kind of get my head around and how, how will I actually interact with it? Maybe, Marcus, you could talk in a sort of general sense about how we might begin to see AI appear in our in our lives. Yes, well, of course, there already is AI taking us into new areas of our kind of music library, um, new books that we want to read, new videos that we want to watch. So, so there's AI kind of making suggestions based on our particular likes and dislikes. But but how might it impact us as creatives? And I, I think it is this idea that we we can start playing much more quickly than we could in the past. And we don't have to know how to code. The code is already uh, often there. So I, I think there are already exciting tools out there for allowing people to play. I mean, for example, I, I'm i not a, a great visuals guy, yet um, I've been using some software to uh, generate some really fascinating new visuals uh, based on an artist I'm working with in Mexico. Um, and the artistry and creativity here is about me making decisions about the data sets that I wants the code to learn on. So there is going to be a new sort of creativity emerging, which I think is what Ian has mentioned just earlier, that the idea that there's the the creative coder, the creative data gatherer, these are going to be new roles. And I, I think that's what people have got to realize. This is a fast changing world and there's a real opportunity for people to be creative in a, in a realm that just hasn't existed before. Yes. Ian, maybe you could pick this up in terms of marketing, because I feel the the advertising and marketing worlds are often being trying to sort of uh, work out how to to build sort of these kind of tech into their offering for the last you know decade at least really in many different ways. Um, how do you see this beginning to kind of actually, in a practical sense, appear in within the creative departments at, at agencies or at, you know at tech companies and so on? Yeah, I mean, I could answer more broadly at marketing and then perhaps go into to, to what this means for agencies because. I think one of the biggest, you know, the, the question around how are we going to see this in society, the biggest, one of the biggest changes is going to be two, two in the near term, I think, is around shopping and customer service are going to be the ones that are going to be totally disrupted by this very, very soon. At the moment, we all know that algorithms are used to make recommendations. But one of the areas that we're seeing is this use of machine vision 
And, you know, you being able to take a picture of your living room, for example, um, you want a new lamp. And then that will then go out, find lamps based on your preference, the style that you have, make recommendations, and then show you what that looks like in your living room. At the moment, that's kind of limited to the websites of these big companies. But that will be democratizing. You'll be able to find products from all over the place to make those kind of recommendations. So it will make your shopping choices better and a little bit more creative, possibly. And that will be within shopping, clothes, all those kind of things. It'll be much deeper uh, than just a recommendation, which is where it's kind of at at the moment. I think the other one that is going to be transformed is around customer services. And, you know, I think 2015 was the year of the chatbot. It's one of those classic technologies where we dramatically overemphasize the impact in the short term, but have underestimated in the long term. I think what we saw through the COVID crisis was that customer services was just kind of falling down. You know, call centers working remotely, your physical stores and footprint wasn't open. How could people get that personalized advice that they needed? The chatbot generation that's coming out, you know, now is actually really good and very sophisticated and can cope with complex questions. And that's about to be rolled out, I think, at scale. You know, we've just, just announced the latest version of a chatbot that we've created. And it is, it is genuinely quite a good experience. So I think that the marketing broad landscape will be changed and the, the consumer experience will be greatly enhanced, actually. I think, you know, just in terms of the, the agency model, there's going to be a dramatic reduction in cost of producing ideas by, you know, a 10x or 100x cost in the production of these ideas. And agencies will then spend more time thinking strategically and creatively. And I think all of the best ideas that they have, they can see to some extent coming to life rather than just, you know, dying uh, as a PowerPoint to a client, et cetera. And they can actually go that, that bit further. And I think that will be where the emphasis will be in kind of strategic thinking, creative thinking, and using AI as a tool to enhance that part of the business. Yeah. So maybe this brings us to a kind of a quite a nice conclusion in a way, in in the sense that, I feel like I know the answer to this from our conversation, but do you, do you think overall AI is going to be a, a positive thing for the marketing world, Ian? Let's stick with that for now. Um, and Or do you think there's a reason for creatives to be worried or to feel threatened by it? I mean, it's a big question. I think I think overall, you know, I'm an optimist. I think this technology will, will greatly enhance creative process. I think it will enhance customer experience. I think it will, you know, make all of these Things that were the preserve of big businesses available to very small businesses. So there will be an enhanced level of kind of competition out there, which is, you know, I think ultimately good for consumers. Um, so I see that as a positive. And I think from, you know, a strictly speaking, a creative point of view, you know, teams of people are more creative than an individual on their own. Um, we know that there's lots of those kind of tests of, you know, coming up with more ideas. When you work in pairs or in groups, you're much more creative. And I think, you know, ultimately, if we use these tools in the right way, uh, they will push us into genuinely transformational thinking in new areas. And it will be that combination of people and machines that will be at the heart of this, you know, this revolution as it unfolds over the next 10 to 20 years. Indeed. And Marcus, maybe we started with a very big question. Maybe we should finish with it. Do you see AI overall for society being a, a good thing or is there stuff that we should be worried about? I think we need to be careful because uh, technology can go places we don't expect it to. I think 
going forward, there'll be a moment when we'll have to question, for example, whether the artificial intelligence that we've created might actually have become sentient and actually has a an internal world, a consciousness that we need to perhaps protect in law. What about the copyright of an AI? Should it be able to have ownership of those creative ideas? I think there are lots of issues that society is going to have to face uh, going forward. But ultimately, I think you know, we started with a big question of what is creativity? I think creativity is very related to consciousness, that it's our best tool for understanding the our own internal worlds and the internal world of the other. And that's why we use creativity, for example, to try and get customers excited about something that you're excited about. And ultimately, I think creativity of an AI will be our best way of understanding whether this AI is actually maybe a potential customer with likes and dislikes and an emotional world and something genuinely new that we need to sort of really understand for our society. Indeed. And you've you've sort of touched on both my fears there, the, the natural fear that somehow the machines will take over, which certainly has been embedded through Hollywood movies for, for decades now. But So it's good to know that's still there and still something to watch out for. But it does sound like there are many, many ways in which our lives can be enhanced and improved by AI and also our our creative process. So let's leave that there. I think that was a fascinating conversation. Thank you both so much for being part of this chat about creativity. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the final episode of Marketing and Machines, sponsored by Facebook and brought to you by Bauer London Creative, with me, Eliza Williams, and producer Tim O'Donoghue. You can subscribe to this series via iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. And you can also listen back to the two previous episodes in the series, which were hosted by the editors of Marketing Week and eConsultancy and looked at the implications of AI in marketing strategy and planning. Marketing and Machines, sponsored by Facebook. Uncover the latest trends in machine learning and automation that are helping advertisers unlock new phases of growth. 